Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that we can open your word, the Bible, together this morning. Thank you that by Jesus' death and resurrection that we can come to you through grace, have relationship with you and call you Father. We pray that you'd speak to us through your word this morning. Please open our ears that we might hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, I wonder if you've ever taken on a project. Um, You got halfway through and realised it's all a waste of time. You've called it off before sinking any more effort into it um, because the result is going to be useless. Well, the world islands in Dubai sprang to mind. As an example, there is about 300 man-made islands that they've made into the shape of the world off the coast of Dubai. It was going to be a massive resort. Construction began in 2003, but then it got hit by the financial crisis and the whole project became toxic. They had financial issues and reports of the island sinking into the water. Um, Probably should have tried building a sandcastle in shallow water first. One island was completed, but overall, I suspect millions of hours' work and billions of dollars were wasted on the project. But how do we know that our faith is not going to be like that? Where we get halfway through and realise it's all a waste of time. Could our faith turn out to be in vain? Paul's letter to the Corinthians is filled with instructions for Christian life. But when you get to chapter 15 which we're reading today, Paul wants the Corinthians to ask that exact question. Is my faith in vain? At the start of the letter, Paul says he's thankful to God for the Corinthians, that they're under grace through Jesus Christ. And he says over the next 14 chapters, and this is what it'll look like. Remove jealous and strife from among you. Get rid of sexual immorality from among you. There shouldn't be any lawsuits between you. He has instructions for married. He has instructions for unmarried. He has instructions about gifts and how we are to use them to love each other and build each other up. Paul's saying, your life as Christians is now going to look different. But when you get to chapter 15, Paul wants them to stop and take a sanity check Is my faith in vain? Is it all worthwhile? It may have come as a shock to the Corinthians at this point in the book to be hit with the words in verse 2, unless, of course, you believed in vain. Then in verse 14, Paul says, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And verse 17, your faith is futile. The Corinthians might have thought that there's no chance of failure, but Paul is saying, look out, beware, or your faith could be in vain. He says, hold fast to the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection, or else it all is in vain. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, 
and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul takes them back to when he preached to them, when Paul explained the gospel to them and they turned from their gods and their way of life. They received it. They stand in it. And they're being saved by it. But then Paul adds, unless you believed in vain. You can imagine the Corinthians going, wait, what? Paul's saying that if you aren't holding fast to the gospel, then it is a waste of time. You may know of people who have accepted Jesus as Lord and completely changed the way of life. But as time's gone by, they've drifted away. Perhaps their beliefs have succumbed to the temptation to compromise, to align with a more palatable understanding of the world or to better suit their lifestyle. Eventually, of course, they're no longer trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection. Their faith, like the world islands, becomes an abandoned project. Their initial belief, their labour, their taking up their cross, their changed lives, it's all in vain. Because in the end, they're not saved by it. Their sins remain a debt unpaid. Now look at verse 3 and 4, at what Paul preached to them and is telling them to hold fast to. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What they and us need to hold fast to is Jesus' death and resurrection. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Notice that the gospel was delivered and received. It's not from Paul, it's not made up. And it was delivered as first importance. As Christians, it is of first importance that we hold fast to Jesus' death and resurrection. If we don't hold fast to this, then it's all in vain. And that's because Jesus' death and resurrection, it's Jesus' death and resurrection that gives us salvation. Have a look back at verse 3 and 4 again. Notice that Jesus' death and resurrection is in accordance with the scriptures. If one or both of these things, Jesus' death or resurrection, didn't happen, Jesus is not who he claims to be. He's not the servant king, the Messiah, come to redeem the people from their sins, come to redeem people from all nations from their sins and then sit on an everlasting throne interceding for us. The Christ of the Old Testament, the scriptures, had to die and had to rise. If Jesus didn't die and rise, then he's not the Christ of the scriptures. 
right through the Old Testament, it was promised that there was one coming who would come to restore the broken relationship between God and man, reverse the damage that was done when man turned and rejected God. Someone was coming to deal with sin and defeat its consequence. Death. If you look at Isaiah 53, written about 600 years before Jesus, you'll find a description of this servant. The servant's death is described like this. He was despised, rejected by men. He was pierced for our transgressions, cut off from the land of the living. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If Jesus didn't die, he can't be the promised Christ of the Old Testament. And the same passage also tells of, us, tells of his life after death, saying that God will see his offering, his death, and prolong his days. He will live after having died. The will of God will prosper in his hand and God will divide him a portion with the many. That is, he'll receive glory along with those who he's saving by his death. He will also continue to make intercession for us. So if Jesus stayed dead, then he can't be the promised Christ and eternal king of the Old Testament. And if Jesus is not the Christ of the scriptures, then we're still in our sin and guilt. There's no restored relationship with God and we're still on a path to eternal separation from God. Removing Jesus' death or resurrection from your faith is like trying to remove the foundation of a building. The whole building is going to collapse. So we need to keep reminding each other, like Paul did, that Jesus' death and resurrection is actually our foundation. Reminding ourselves that our status before God as being washed and guiltless is because we're under grace, because of his death and resurrection. We need to hold fast to Jesus' death and resurrection or it's all in vain. Well, it's fine that Paul says to us, hold fast to Jesus' resurrection in verses 1 to 4, but that's only useful if it's trustworthy. You can say, I believe in the resurrection, I believe in the resurrection a million times, but if Jesus didn't rise and walk out of the tomb, then it's useless. And that's exactly where Paul goes next with his argument. He says, and you can hold fast to Jesus' resurrection because it really happened. Pick it up with me from verse 4. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me. The Christian faith is based on historical events. Jesus really died. He was buried, Paul reminds them. 
and we know in the gospel accounts, the Roman centurion had to pierce his side to confirm it before he could take him off the cross. He was definitely dead. And he also definitely rose from the dead. Paul says he appeared to many people. He lists out some of the people who witnessed it. The, the list isn't exhaustive, but it makes the point. First, there was Cephas, that's Peter, and he was known to the Corinthians. Then the other disciples. Then 500 people, probably those in Galilee. Then James, his brother. And finally, he appeared to Paul, the author, on the road to Damascus. And Paul includes in the next verses a bit about his own story, about how he was persecuting the church, and, but was changed by grace when he met Jesus. And Paul also makes the point that most of these people are still alive. The letter was written about 20 years after Jesus' death. So the Corinthians could go and talk to eyewitnesses. And we know what would be found if they could talk to eyewitnesses because we have eyewitness accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, books in the Bible. Eyewitness accounts. If you were to talk to eyewitnesses, you'd, you'll find that Jesus' appearances aren't hallucinations. They abruptly stopped after 40 days when Jesus ascended to heaven. You'll find amongst those who saw him were people like Thomas, who, when the others told him Jesus was alive, said, I will not believe unless I see the nail marks in his hand and place my finger in his side where he was pierced. And then Jesus, when he does meet Jesus, shows him his hands and side. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And as you talk to more witnesses, you'll find people like James, Jesus' brother, who didn't believe Jesus before the resurrection, but after the resurrection was a believer. And you'll find people like Paul, enemies, imprisoning Jesus' followers, then completely turning around after meeting the risen Jesus. And you'll find that he ate and drank with people. And you'll find that the same disciples that scattered at Jesus' death, scared that they might meet the same fate after the resurrection, going to every painful length to tell others about Christ, and then finally being martyred for what they believe. The evidence is irrefutable. Jesus' resurrection is real. You can hold fast to Jesus' resurrection because it really happened. So where does that leave some of the Corinthians who say there's no resurrection? Well, Paul says, if there was no resurrection, your faith is in vain. Let's um, read verses 12 to 14. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. There are people amongst the Corinthians that don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. 
Now, it's more general, I think, than Jesus, just Jesus' resurrection. This is any resurrection, our resurrection. And uh, there'll be more on our resurrection next week. But the Corinthians just can't believe that anyone can be raised from the dead. Now, it didn't say why some didn't believe in the resurrection. It may have been that they wanted to align better with popular belief at the time. We know common Greek thought was that when you die, the soul escaped the imprisonment of the body. The idea that our souls might be forever trapped in a body was very unattractive. We, of course, know in Genesis 1 that God created the whole body, the flesh and the spirit, and both were good. But for whatever reason, some of the Corinthians didn't believe. And Paul says to them, if there's no resurrection, your faith is in vain. Paul says that if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus hasn't been raised, and then your faith is in vain. And it's not just your faith, he says in verse 15. All of our work in travelling and teaching is also in vain. In fact, he says it's worse than that. He and the disciples would be teaching a lie. They'd be misrepresenting God, he says. So Paul wants them to think it through. What would it mean if there was no resurrection of the dead? He says, let's play it out logically. Look at verses 16 to 19. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now this is, it's really a flow diagram in words, isn't it? And I'm sure Paul had the diagram up on his whiteboard as he was writing his letter. So I thought I'd recreate it in English for your convenience. Uh, so at the top, some of the Corinthians say, I'm a Christian, but I just don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. It just, it just doesn't sit right. I can't imagine a dead person rising. And Paul says, okay, so if there's no resurrection of the dead, that means Christ also has not been raised from the dead. And that means you're still in your sins. They aren't paid for. And if you're still in your sins then your faith is futile. What's the point in living for Jesus if your sins aren't paid for? You're not, in fact, under grace. You're actually no better off than someone with no faith. In fact, he says, you're worse off. Let's add verses 18 and 19 to that diagram. Verses 18 says that if there's no resurrection... Uh, for us, then when we die, we perish. We're dead for good over on the left-hand side. And verse 19 adds that if our faith is futile, that is, that it's not leading to salvation, 
We can only hope and strive for things in this life. But we've given up so much in this life for the life to come. So we're to be pitied more than anyone else. We would be better off with no faith at all. It's quite bleak, really, isn't it? When you extrapolate out what Christianity looks like without the resurrection, it's not actually Christianity at all. But people and churches still continue to deny it today. A BBC survey in England a few years ago found that only a quarter of the people surveyed who said they were Christians believed in the bodily raising of Jesus as described in the Bible. So only a quarter, it's not, it's not three quarters, it's a quarter of people who said they were Christians said they didn't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus as described in the Bible. And I bet many of these people who said they didn't believe as described in the Bible would say, oh, they do believe in the resurrection, but just more of an, as an idea that Jesus' spirit lives on in us. A fluffy kind of definition that's flexible to accommodate the listener. You wouldn't want to make outlandish claims. No one would ever believe. Reverend Dr. Lorraine Kavanagh, a, a leader of the modern church, says science but also intellectual and philosophical thought has progressed. It has trickled down into everybody's lives. So to ask an adult to believe in the resurrection the way they did when they were at Sunday school simply won't do. It's, it's scary, isn't it? But it's more prevalent, I think, in churches than you might think. And what's funny is they always present it as a new idea. I did a very cursory Google search and I found the idea popular 100 years ago and then again in the 80s and 90s and, of course, 2,000 years ago in Corinth. And it's always presented that modern thought is more advanced now. We can't possibly believe that a dead man can rise. Oh, but we still have relationship with God, they say. And Paul would reply, well, when you do put some intellectual thought into it, you'll find that without the resurrection, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. There'll always be opposition against the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection, especially from in, within the church. And so we need to remind each other constantly that it is through Jesus' death and resurrection that we are saved. It's why we say the creeds, verbalising our belief to one another. It's why Kurt always comes back to the gospel each week in his preaching. It's why we meet together and read the Bible. We don't just chat about the latest philosophical ideas. It's why we're doing the one anothering Bible course, which is all about speaking the gospel to each other, reminding 
each other of Jesus' very real death and resurrection, firming up our foundations for when opposition comes. Because if we drop our foundations of Jesus' death and resurrection, our faith is futile. So to wrap up, is our faith in vain? Well, the answer is no. It's not in vain if we hold fast to Jesus' death and resurrection. And we know we can hold fast to that because Jesus really did rise from the dead. We can still weigh up the evidence today. But remember that taking out the resurrection, taking the resurrection out of Christianity is like taking the foundations from a building. We're left with a futile faith. Our changed life is all in vain, like an abandoned project that never reached its completion. But with the resurrection, we have life because we're under Jesus' saving grace. We have relationship with God and we have certainty of life to come. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for coming into this world and revealing yourself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is, in fact, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament and that his death and resurrection has paid for our sins so that we can be righteous in your sight, guiltless, we can come before your throne. Please forgive us for all the times we've rejected you and put our own agenda ahead of you. Thank you that we can be certain of your saving grace and our coming life with you because we, ha- we can be certain of Jesus' death and resurrection. Please help us hold fast to this gospel as individuals and as a church, knowing that Jesus has risen, seated in heaven, interceding for us. Please help us to continue to speak that gospel into each other's lives, reminding each other what you've truly done for us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.